All right. So we are continuing on getting into deeper uh, territory here. We're finishing up talking about uh, the acts of God. And we talked about creation, miracles, and providence. And we're on the subject of God's decrees, which is speaking of his lordship, his kingship. Kings decree things to be. Uh, So that's really the doctrine of decrees. According to Westminster Confession of Faith, he's decreed whatsoever has come to pass. It's been according to his will. Uh, This opens up some can of worms for us that we're going to have to deal with. And then we're going to deal with it this week and next week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be done at that point. And then we're going to, after week after that, start talking about the attributes of God: His love, His righteousness, things like that. Well, how do we? What do what do we know about God from what has been declared in the Scriptures, not just from His acts, but from what He has declared Himself to be? So today, I, I really have struggled with. Uh, with uh, John Frame's notes today, and I'm going to try to make sense of them the best I can. Um, We're going to talk about election, and everybody's got a doctrine of election. You have to have a doctrine of election because the Bible speaks about election. Uh, So you cannot not have a belief about election, and what we want is our belief about election to be biblical. Now, John Frame here in his notes and systematic theology, has split up the conversation about election into two things. Historical and eternal. So historical election and eternal election. I want to kind of define these ideas. So this is the subject of election. I should have put that as a title, so election. Elect according to the grace of God, amen, Brother Jimmy. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, as good a jumping off point as any. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto, so we not only got the mechanism, really, of election, we're elect according to the election of, to foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, election. So, John Frame is going to boil this down to a discussion of historical election and eternal election and talking about the difference between the two. And, like I said, you you cannot not have a thought about election. (laughs) You cannot, as a Christian, not have a doctrine about it. The Bible speaks lots about the doctrine of election. You're you're going to run into it every time you're reading the scriptures, almost. Um, So, election means what? Well, what does the word election mean? Chosen. It means to choose, to elect something. Uh, we elected uh, some officials lately, so what do we do? We went and chose them. And the one with the most people choosing is the ones that were elect. 
they became the president-elect or the, um, the senator-elect or so on and so forth. They, 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 they were chosen. So that's the same thing we have here. When it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God, it means that God chose them. Now this makes people nervous. We like to talk about the fact that we chose, but God chose. And it, from that flows all the blessings uh, that, that Peter went on to talk about. And, and this isn't the, Peter's not the only one in the scriptures that is couched it like this. So election, therefore, is one kind of decree. So this is God decree, part of God's doctrine of decrees. Uh, election is a decree of God. I choose this. I, I, I choose uh, him or whatever. And it, and it can be boiled down to several different words in the scripture. But it indicates God's purpose and God's intention towards a thing. Uh, the biblical vocabulary in the Old Testament, we have words like bakar, which means to choose, uh, hibdil, which means to set apart. In the Greek, we have uh, eklegomai, which means to choose out or to choose out of or to draw out of something by one's choice. Uh, Proatoi mazo, which means to prepare beforehand, and prognosis. Pro, which means to have foreknowledge in the sense of making a choice, elect according to the foreknowledge and to, uh, of God. So, so that, those are some of the words that we're constantly going to run into in the Old and New Testaments. So Ephesians is another place that, we're going, that we run into this doctrine. It's the most popular place, and it's probably the most, most exact place where, where we have this idea. It says... says uh, Verse 2, Ephesians 1, verse 2, says, says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he hath, and the word is, elected. That's the word elect right there, chosen. He has chosen us in him when? We talked about this last week, before the foundation of the world. That's the doctrine of election. Those that are saved were chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, we may not understand how to, how to, how to uh, connect that with doctrines of, uh, of, uh, uh, with the doctrine of, of human responsibility, uh, but this is what the Bible declares, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's this idea of election. Uh, so the controversy comes uh, when we're starting to parse out this difference between historical and eternal. And the best I can tell from the notes I'm reading here from John Frame is his, in, his, his, um, his division here is between what we see in the narrative of human history. So, narrative of history, that's what he is intending by here. So, there, there is a story being told throughout history. And that's what you and I can read. That's what you and I understand. That's what you and I see. But then, eternal election is what is known of God. The truth that is known of God. So, as we parse this out... We start with the fact that God has made choices that are not necessarily about the eternal salvation of people. God has chosen people. He chose Pharaoh, for instance, uh, that he might be glorified in Pharaoh, but Pharaoh was was chosen as an object of God's judgment. Uh, he chose um, he chose uh, Jeremiah, for instance.
for a specific task. He says, I knew you before you were in the womb, and I, or, and I chose you to be a prophet. That talk, that's talking about his specific service. He called out his disciples. He named them apostles. He chose each and every one of them. And, of course, we know historically that included who? Judas. He says, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is. And that, so, so the calling of the apostles is not necessarily about uh, the individual salvation of those. He chose Saul to be the very first king. And Saul, in that sense, was, was part of the election of God. Uh, not in the sense of individually uh, being... Uh, and an, an error of salvation, but within God's works, he has chosen different things. And we know that there is a, there is a historical narrative of, of election that includes the choosing of people like Judas and things like that. Uh, again, uh, that's John 6, verse 70 and 71. Jesus says, Did I not I choose you, twelve, and one of you is a devil. And he spoke of, in this it says, he spoke of Judas. Uh, and what did he say of Judas? He says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man not to have been born. So we know, um, we, we, we know that that's necess- when we're talking about the choosing of Judas, we're not necessarily talking about um, Judas's salvation. We're not talking about that at all. But we are talking about something else. And we're not trying to get into the doctrine of reprobation because that's the big thing that everybody will take, to, uh, um, take issue. And we're going to talk specifically about that. But let's talk about election as it is seen by us. Election historically, the narrative of election. Um, God has made choices. All throughout the Old Testament, He chose... Well, first of all, what is the what is the central theme of, of is he chose Israel. He chose Israel. If you want to sum up New Testament, he chose Israel. Why did he choose them? Was it because they were so good? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven. Like, like Saul and Judas, whose condemnations were clear in scriptures, we have the other side where he is choosing entire nations and entire families. But even within that, there is an election within an election. Israel as a whole was chosen of God. But not all, of it, not all Israel was of Israel. Romans chapter 2, right? Uh, there's the true Jew and there's, a, there, there's, there's a, just the one that is a Jew according to the flesh. Uh, he chose Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, but then he chose Isaac over Ishmael. Then he chose Jacob over Esau. So even within election was even, was even more exact election. Um, he says, I chose you to be a holy people. Here in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7 and 8, and it'll help me if I actually turn there. Deuteronomy 7. The choosing, whatever it is, and whatever extent that we want to look, is by grace. God, by His grace alone, chose Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, speaking to the entire nation of Israel, because you were more in number than any people. And he, for you were the fewest of all people. There were only 70 souls that went down in Egypt. There was only one that he brought out of Ur of Chaldees, and that was Abraham and his wife. Well, they were one, yeah. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep his oath, he chose them by his grace, according to his promises that he made beforehand to their fathers. 
So it's by grace, it's not by merit. Israel did not merit the choosing of God. When we're going to talk about eternal election here in a second, and I want to try to define that a little bit more, what we mean by eternal election. Israel, just as Israel, those who were saved are not chosen because they're good. Uh, we could say, we could say, well, Jason, I did not choose you <laughs> because you were strong, because you were mighty, because you were noble, because you were anything else. I didn't choose you because you did so, because you had this ability or that ability or whatever. I chose you by my grace alone. We know those famous words. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It wasn't anything in you that God, by His grace, saved. Uh, his election was based upon His grace. And so that was with the entire nation of Israel. Um, uh, he warned them in Deuteronomy 9, a couple chapters later, don't, 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 don't come to the point where you say in your heart, uh, the Lord cast these people out because we were so righteous, because we were so noble, uh, because we were so good. But it's because of the wickedness of the people in that land that I drove them out. And you stand by grace. And then he went on to say, you are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. <laughs> well, he chose a very sinful people. Uh, who can, and he continued to give, her, give them his righteousness. So, God chose Israel, but why did he choose them? Well, he chose them by grace. It wasn't because they were good. And he, but he chose them... For His glory. Whatever God chooses is for His glory. We, I'm, I'm all over the board here, but it's for His glory that He chose them. Um, and in order for them to be a blessing. So Israel, as in this sense, is uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, he says... Uh, Come out from come out from the Ural Chaldees, uh, separate yourself from your brethren, and I will make you a blessing to all nations. And of course, that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Um, and he did this. How was he glorified through? And we, then we get perplexed as we look at the entire historical narrative of him choosing Israel, all time and time again. He keeps reminding them, you all are stiff-necked. <laughs> and you're always constantly rejecting your God, and yet God continues not only to declare His judgment, but He continues to declare His mercy. That's by grace, right? He was continuously merciful to that people. And, and it's often perplexing as you're reading through the prophets uh, that there is this... That, when you're reading, especially through Isaiah and Jeremiah, where you have, have this, this vehement declaration of the judgment of God. I'm going to judge you for your sins. I'm going to judge you for your sins. And then out of nowhere, in the same vein, he begins to pour out his mercy. I'm going to have mercy upon you. I am going to save you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, 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 and it's, it's amazing. Go, uh, consider um, Isaiah chapter 1, for instance. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, he lays out rebellion. You all are rebellious. Your whole head is sick. Your whole body is sick. You all are awful. You all are terrible. And then what does he say in verse 18? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Says the Lord. And... Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. There, there, there is this amazing kind of, kind of balance where, uh, where the prophets move from judgment to grace, often without no transition at all between those, idea, those ideas. Um, and we, look at, we look, continue to look at the historical data of of. Israel, let me ask you this. Do you believe all Israel were saved? Every individual in Israel was saved, but yet they as a whole were a saved nation, were a chosen nation. Do you believe everybody that sits in the church is saved? 
Which ones? No, I'm not, I'm not asking you to name names, and we're going to talk about, about that more specifically in the second hour. But yet, God chose His church. Uh, there, there, so there's a lot of parallels, and that's why, that's why Frame here was very was straining to talk about historical narrative, what we see as a narrative playing out the, as far as historical election and what is actually known of God, those that are truly elect of God. Uh, Israel is a, is an amazing uh, is amazing example of this. There always seemed to be a remnant within Israel that were truly His. Um, we talked about that with Elijah. There was he. Elijah says, "I alone am left, a worshipper of the true God." In the sense, that's what he was saying. And what did what did what did uh, God answer? He says, "No, I have reserved unto me." Same election language. I have reserved unto me a remnant, 4,000. And Paul connects that with uh, Israel of his day. In Romans 11, where he says, Even now there remains uh, um, a remnant of Israel according to the election of grace. And he talked about himself. He says, For I am an Israelite, and I have trusted Christ, and I... and and, and others. Um, So, ultimately, we see that there, within the historical narrative election, what you and I see, you and I see that there is the church, there is what there is the manifest people of God, and I, I mean that what what we can see with our eyes, and 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 the scriptures declare that God has indeed chosen them generally, and then we see their disobedience, then we see their faith faithlessness, then we then we see many within them that are going astray, many of them that are that apostatize, if you will, and we'll talk specifically about apostasy next week, but but. What, what do we say about that? We, 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 we say that not all that are of Israel are truly of Israel. That there is a remnant of grace. Even those that returned after judgment were not faithful. Even those, even those among Israel that stood there and saw their Messiah coming, very few of them believed upon Him. Very few of them followed Him. And they went astray. John chapter 6. So, ultimately, who was the elect of God? Well, Isaiah 11 tells us a little bit about the coming of Christ. On the heels of this idea of judgment, uh, Who were those that were to inherit the promises to Abraham? We read, There shall come forth, Isaiah 11, let me get there. And like I said, I really struggled with this part of of frames, and I think this is just a very hard subject to work your way through. And I'm trying to give you the spirit of what he was trying to teach here, and at least those parts that we can't, that I can have agreement with. He says, Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall judge, not judge after the sight of his, of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And, and this is on the heels of him talking about uh, the righteous judgment So, a righteous branch 
is coming. In the story of Jeremiah, we see, we, we, we see that uh, the servant of the Lord, the righteous branch, is the Lord our righteousness. Ultimately, we can see, and I think the writers of Matthew, the writer of Matthew, which is Matthew, pointed this out when he talked about out of, out of Egypt I have called my son, which he quoted for about about Israel in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, but he applied it specifically to Christ. Christ is the elect of God. He's the faithful remnant, the righteous branch, the root out of the stem of Jesse. And God is fully just in choosing him and all all else that is outside of him is, well, I mean, it's outside of him. We saw that when we were reading about election there in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 11, and let's read a little bit about what Paul was saying. And I feel like I'm all over the place because I'm trying to jump all over these notes here, and I pray that I can make him understandable here shortly. Uh, I'm in Ephesians, so I said Romans 11. Romans 11. I say then, verse 1, has God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not that the scripture says to Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets and dig down mine altars. I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what says the answer to God, of God to, uh, unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. If by grace, then it is no more of works. So, in this remnant, God has included both Jews and Gentiles. He goes on in chapter, in chapter 11 to talk about the natural branches, that's the, that's the Israelites being broken off, and us wild branches being grafted into those very promises that were made, uh, promises given according to election. So, he makes a couple points here. concerning this first of all he says election as far as we understand it historically as far as we see it historically um, is a corporate entered entity or is it he asked the question is it a corporate entity or is it about individuals as it was with Israel we could have the whole body of Israel and some of the Israel could be could be well they give it terms like sons of Belial and things of that nature about about many and almost encompassing the entire nation going astray after other gods with only a small remnant of faithful among them. Uh, and his answer to this is both. God chose Israel as a family. God chose Israel as a nation. But within that, he chose a true remnant, those that are truly of him, he talked. He talks about a lot that a lot of that in that argument in Romans chapter nine, um, and so it is with the church. God has elected and chosen His church. But what do we have as we look at the church historically? We know what. What did John say? He says they went out of us. We have this truth of apostasy. And that seems to be something that is prevalent throughout 2,000 years of church history. That there always just seems to be a faithful remnant. Even among God's people that he has chosen. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, so so there, is, there is this dichotomy even here so we're talking about as we talk about the narrative of history as we're looking at it we're constantly looking at just this faithful remnant 
among those that God has chosen out. Uh, I've lost my place here. So, is election unto salvation or service, he asked. And he says both. In a sense, Israel was chosen to be his servant, his witnesses. Um, uh, and those that, and, the, and there were some within Israel at all points in time that were heirs of salvation. So he, he strains at this, and I, I don't want to take more time but we, but we know that we, we know the truth of apostasy. We know within the church there's always been there's Judases, there's those Ananias and Sapphira, those the, those that are like Simon the sorcerer and others that 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 have fallen from grace. And Paul talked about talked about others that were that 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 were were turned aside after Satan that have made shipwreck of their faith and all these things. And we and we end up talking about having all these genuine warnings. I've been working through Hebrews 6 this morning, and I've, getting, I've gotten through the first half just kind of reading through the text. And what was he saying? He was given these warnings. All throughout the first six chapters, he's constantly, he said, uh, continue in the faith, continue in the faith. Why do we need those warnings? Because within Israel, not all are Israel. Within the church membership roles, not all are his bride, his true bride. And there is, there is always that sense. And you and I cannot read the eternal decree of God. I know some people that think they can, but they can't. You're not going to figure out the doctrine of election. You don't know who God has chosen unto salvation or who God has not chosen unto salvation. And we see through this glass darkly. We don't know. We read the historical narrative. We know that God has declared certain things to be true corporately for a people. And specifically, sure, in Christ. But we know not who is in Christ. So that is, that is concerning historical election or what we see. But then there is the truth of eternal election. There are those that are chosen unto God. eternally never to be lost we we call this eternal security sometimes right we talk about the doctrine of a security because if we were just to read the historical narrative in and of itself we would we would uh, come to the conclusion uh, a, a different conclusion altogether and god did not leave us there uh turn to romans 8 Well, before we turn to Romans 8, let's talk about just the truth of Jeremiah chapter 31, the new covenant. The new covenant is not based on works. It's not based on works. Uh, Christ himself, who is the faithful remnant and all that are in him will never lose fellowship with the Father. He was chosen from the foundation of the world according to Peter himself. He was the elect. Uh, I want to, uh, you don't have to turn there, stay in Jeremiah, but in Peter, 1 Peter 1.20, it says, who by him did believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Uh, oh, no, but, but, but with his precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot, who, speaking of Christ, verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was manifest for you in these last times. Christ was the elect of God, and we are elect in him. That's what we read in Ephesians. Um, so it's... In terms of this covenant, Jeremiah 31, which was often related to in specifically in the book of Hebrews, um, twice in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10 is alluded to. And I don't know why I can't find Jeremiah. Just floundering. Jeremiah 31, in verse 31. 
Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In that day I took them by the in the day that I took them out of the hand and led them out of the Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. That's grace right there. That's not that, that, well, what, what does that mean to have the law of God written in your hearts? It, it means exactly what Paul would later say in Romans 7. I delight to do your will. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's a, that's a change of heart. Not, 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 not a grievous obey, 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 or, 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 but, but God making us willing to obey by His grace alone. We see the words of grace here. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is the covenant. No conditions. Just the grace of what God would do. Therefore, He's the mediator of the new covenant. That's what Christ has accomplished according to Hebrews not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by, but by the blood of the Lamb of God, but the blood of Christ. In this sense, it is Ab- Father, the father Abraham rejoiced to see this day. Now turn to Romans chapter 8. And we have, our, we have all that we need simply by the grace of God given to us by this this covenant of God. And we see how this plays out. I want, we have the forgiveness. We have the writing of law, God's law on, a part, on our heart. All these things and, that, that are given to us by grace. Romans 8. And we're not trying to figure out the doctrine of election. We just need to know what, what are contained here. Because we can't figure it out. If there's one thing that I hope you get from this is we don't know. We can read the historical data and we see we see people falling away. We see the apostasy, but yet we know this, that God's election is sure. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Okay? We like that so far. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn, that is, Christ might be the firstborn or have this exalted position among the brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he justified. And whom he justified, them he glorified. I don't think there's anything, I, I don't think he could have said it more clear. Those who are subject of salvation by the choosing of God, those he foreknew, elect according to the foreknowledge, according to First Peter, those he foreknew are the ones he predestinates. And every one of those whom he predestinates, he calls. And everyone who he calls, he justifies. And every one of those who he justifies, he glorifies. There is a sense only when we're considering this of security that the end is sure. Spoken in this past tense, glorified, already in the mind of God. The final salvation being certain. For who? For those he foreknew, predestinated, uh, and on down the line. Uh, called, justified, glorified. If God 
And then it goes on, and, the, and this gets even more rich in Romans 8 after this. And considering all of Romans 8, some people believe the most precious por, uh, portions of Scripture is this chapter. Begins with no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ends with no separation from their love. And then it talks about right after this text how no one can lay charge to the God's elect. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. They cannot be lost. Who can bring a charge against them? There can be no condemnation. The chapter ends with nothing can ever separate them from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature, any, anything. Angels, principalities, powers, nothing can separate them from the love of God. That is election according to grace. Now... So we have election from God's... All we have is man's perspective. We can never climb into the throne of God and we can look from the eternal perspective and see, okay, this person's chosen, this person's chosen. And thank God, there's no, there's no limit to it. Uh, there's a multitude that no man can number that's going to be there glorified. A multitude that every nation... Every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, nothing, no one's left out. I don't, we, we don't have this divine perspective. We, we're left with this historical perspective about these things. And, and, we, and we can say, anybody who believes on Christ is saved. And then we can turn right around from the historical perspective and tell them, if you continue <laughs> in the faith, not wavering. Why? Because they, go, the ones that go out from us are not of us, right? We see that historical perspective. We see it playing out, but it doesn't change the fact that all that are truly saved are his sheep. And my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's why Peter, in 2 Peter, make your calling and election sure. And how do you do that? Make sure that you're part of this number that cannot be lost, that will already, will already have secured that last day, that glorification in Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by being in Christ. Um, there, 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 is, there is no such thing as those outside of Christ, chosen outside of Christ. There's only those that are chosen in Christ. He says, this is the work of God. This is all that you need, that you believe on Him who has been sent of the Father. So that's just belaboring the point a little bit. That's, that's, uh, that's John Frame's a division of historical versus eternal election in a nutshell. Um, and I hope it made sense. Uh, but make your calling an election sure. Because outside of Christ, there is no salvation. Inside of Christ, there is full salvation. And... That's it. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? I, I feel like I fumbled through this because I, I, these are hard notes to kind of struggle to work through. Next week I want to try to talk about the elephant in the room about this, and that's this idea of reprobation. If he has chosen some to salvation, some will say, well, does that mean he chose others to be lost? Is that, is that a... It, it, that's really where the rubber meets the road on this doctrine. But what, we, what I hope that we get from all this is simply this. God does has made choices. We can't approach the Scripture and say that those choices aren't real, that they weren't made, they weren't made eternally. And we may not be able to describe them, but we can find security in them. I love every time I get to that passage of Romans 8. My salvation is sure. 
Because I know I believed in Him. I know that I have trusted Him. I know that I have, that, that He has forgiven me, that He has saved me. I know that I am in Christ. You are in Christ by faith, Galatians chapter 3. By faith in Him. And therefore, I can reach all this language about election and everything. I can reach that point and I can be overflowed with joy that even though I don't understand it, that's me. I am one of those whom he foreknew. I am one of those that he predestinated. I am one of those that he called unto salvation, that he justified, and in his mind he's already glorified. He's already determined that as my end. And I hope you all have some, some uh, encouragement in that word as well. Anyway, questions, complaints, or grievances? Don't ask me to make it clear because I, <laughs> I don't think I can. Election's a big, big, and I'm glad next week we'll be done with the subject and we'll go on to talking about the actual attributes of God, specifically His love. And that'll be something we can rejoice in. The election is rigged, yes. God has rigged it. Well, uh, once again, I mean, He... he he has uh, chosen to save us willingly. <laughs> Don't ask me to explain that, but he did. Whosoever will, right? But uh, his choice came first. Well, I didn't choose him before the foundation of the world. He chose me <laughs> before the foundation of the world. I chose him in time. It was August 26, 1999, that's when I chose him. That was a point. Probably not. Or at least moral responsibility, yeah. That's more of a topic for next week with reprobation, but yeah. Uh, I, I like what John Calvin said. Uh, he says, where the scriptures speak, we should speak. And where the scriptures are silent, we should be silent. <laughs> uh, and I think in a lot of this debate, and I have been, as long as I've been a Christian, I've been dealing with the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, and that's what really what it always centers on is the doctrine of election. Um, a lot of people want to say a lot more than what the scriptures say. And they want to say they've got it figured out, and they don't. And 
when the, uh, inevitably, when they start figuring it out, they end up denying certain portions of the scripture in the, in the process. Well, that really doesn't mean what it says, or that really doesn't mean what it says. The fact is, is we are morally responsible, and we are free. You can come in. Uh, we, 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 we are, we, we, we do make free decisions to a certain extent. I mean, whatever you call free, uh, every decision we have has a cause. Everything, uh, every effect has a cause, and we didn't make decisions in a vacuum. That was, that was, uh, uh, I mean, we, we have influences, things that influences our, our decisions all the time. We, 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 we never make an uncaused decision. Only God, I guess, did that. <laughs> But even even then, it was caused by his own desire and his own. But we, there is real human responsibility, and it doesn't get easier once you leave the faith. Like, does does determinism versus free will is it is it a debate in atheistic science whether about those things? Of course it is, but they don't have God, and they don't have people created in the image of God, and they. And so they're, they're, yeah, I mean, in their own, they end up having to say everything's determined. And then they make this big leap of faith say, uh, 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 that about freedom all the time that has nothing to do with what they believe. It make, gets more complicated when you leave the scriptures uh, to try to talk about this dichotomy. But us created in the image of God, we do have, we do have a certain liberty and God is even sovereign over that. How, what, what amazes me is, is God saved me with, I mean, coinciding with my will. And that he, he I think that probably, according to the old Calvinist, gets into the, gets into the uh, idea of the effectual calling. I wanted to come to Christ when I came to Christ. I wasn't kicking and screaming against my will. When I, I came to Christ according to my will, and that, that's, that's an amazing truth about this. It, and we're getting in deeper water here. We, we better stop. All right, we got about five minutes before the next hour. I saw people groaning a little bit.